A young girl sits and waits, focusing on the clock above the door. She sits with anticipation, counting down the seconds. The seconds feel like minutes. The minutes feel like hours. She hears what seems to be a loud rumbling sound coming from beneath her chair. The bell rings. She rushes to the door, swinging it open with excitement. Then she turns around, drops her head in disappointment as tears run down her face. She returns to her chair, again watching the second hand on the clock, awaiting the ringing of the final bell. Thank you for joining us here on Empath Radio Network. My name is Michael, and I am an empath. Today is our first episode. It's August 1st, 2017, and it's such an honor to be here. This has been a year in the making, and the hardest part for me was to um, actually come up with the first episode. So it's really an honor to finally be here. Uh, It was about three days ago I was speaking to a woman on the phone, and she began to tell me a story of her childhood. And I sat on the other end listening, and it was an emotional story, and all I could do was sit there pretty much in silence. And by the end of the phone conversation, that's when I realized that I had my first episode and that it was time to release this podcast. And the title of this episode is called The Hungry Child, which we'll get into that story a little later in the podcast. Um, First, I want to tell you how um, this came to be. It was January of 2016 that I had first heard of the term empath. I never knew what an empath was. Um, I had heard of empathy. I knew what empathy was, but I had never heard of the term empath. Um, Last year, January, I was going through a lot in my life uh, as far as depression, um, anxiety. Um, I had given up my desire to exist. I was that depressed I had gained a lot of weight. I was very close to 300 pounds. My blood pressure was through the roof. I'd been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. I was an entertainer. I spent every night performing in bars. I would drink from the time I woke up until the time that the bar closed and Sometimes I would even get carry out and sit in my car until the sun came up, drinking. I could care less whether I woke up the next day. My parents became really concerned about me. My mother had said to my father, 
I don't know how long Michael's going to be around. He's killing himself. I knew it. I knew I was killing myself. It didn't matter. I didn't care if I woke up the next day. My mother had expressed her concern about me for quite some time. I believe inside, subconsciously perhaps, that I was committing a slow suicide. Music had always been an escape for me. It was a driving force in my life. I began playing the piano around the age of six or seven. I started writing and composing music around the age of 12. My mother was a songwriter. She wrote Southern gospel music and as a child, I remember her sitting at the table with her guitar and her pen and paper creating this beautiful music from within. And it intrigued me. I wanted that. So at the age of 12, I sat down at the piano and I said to Mom, I want to write like you do. She said, well, start by putting your thoughts down. What's the first thing that you think about? Write it down. I'd already had a piece of music that I had composed. I just needed lyric for it. So I wrote the first line, and she added the second, and we went back and forth until the song was created. The point that I'm making here is that I needed an escape. I was different than the rest of the children. I knew this. I couldn't relate to the neighborhood kids. They were out having fun, playing in the neighborhood, riding their bikes. I wanted to be alone. I'd rather lock myself in my bedroom and just whatever, daydream. Um play music, write little poems. I was definitely what you would consider an introvert. I, I just couldn't relate. I couldn't relate to other people. I just I felt like I was happier by myself. Elementary school, I didn't fit in there either. And it was obvious that the some of the other kids realized that I was different. I liked being alone a lot in the play yard. I'd go off by myself and just start making sand castles or whatever in the sandbox and didn't want to socialize with the rest of the kids. 
they were alien to me. I had nothing in common. I thought different. I guess the teachers noticed that and they thought that I should see a psychiatrist. So at a very young age, I did, and the psychiatrist diagnosed me with social disorder. So already at a young age, I'm given a label that I have to go through the rest of my life with of having a social disorder. Then came adolescence, which can be trying in and of itself. Now I have to go into adolescence with a label, a social disorder. So now I'm really feeling different. (laughs) Definitely feel like an outcast now. I've got something wrong with me. Then came middle school. I'd rather sit at my desk and write out lyric or poetry or draw cartoon characters or whatever because I the schoolwork I guess bored me I didn't pay attention I was always in my own little world so once again uh, it was suggested that I see a psychiatrist about it and once again I did (laughs) And I was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder. What do you do with attention deficit disorder? You medicate it. And I was prescribed Ritalin, which was the common drug at the time for kids with attention deficit disorder. And most of the kids that I knew at the time, we were all on Ritalin. I knew a lot of kids on Ritalin. So, I don't know, maybe it was just a period of time where every kid was born with attention deficit disorder. Perhaps it was something in the drinking water at the time. So quick do we have labels put upon us. All we have to do is be a little bit different than society's idea of who or what we should be. If if we don't fit into that mold of what society thinks we should be or who we should be, and we're a little different, we're considered an outcast and we must have a social disorder. It can't be that we're just just different. We're unique. It wasn't until 2016, having a conversation with this friend of mine, that I realized, damn it, I'm an empath. That explains everything. I have the traits and characteristics of an empath, which is not a bad thing. I wasn't cursed. I wasn't given a curse. I was given a beautiful gift. 
a gift of being an empath. I feel, I sense, I'm intuitive, like many others out there. So I feel other people's energies. I'm more sensitive to it. The problem for an empath is we feel all the energies around us. We feel other people's pain. We feel their emotions. We sense their pain. We sense their emotions. We absorb it. And it becomes our pain. It becomes our emotions. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know. It it becomes overwhelming. We want to run and hide. Pull the blankets over our head and just escape from the world. I've been there. I know what it's like. It's hard to interpret what we feel from our own feelings, what we feel from around us, what we sense from other people and from crowds. Pretty much an empath is like a huge radio tower, okay? We, we gather these frequencies, these frequencies come at us and, and we release this energy back. And depending on how we receive it and how we interpret it, ultimately determines how we send it back out. Now, we can hold it in also. We can hold it in and allow it to deeply affect us physically, mentally, emotionally. We interpret it through anxiety, depression, because it's hard. We, we don't realize that it, we feel like it's something off inside of us. We don't realize that it's the energy. We're so receptive and, and, and sensitive to the energies around us. Like when we go into empaths, when you, if you have ever gone into a, a grocery store or been in a carnival or something, and you just have that feeling of just being overwhelmed, it's just too much to process. Uh, there, there's too much going on and, and, or at social gatherings, you're you're at a party or something, and you just wish you could leave and go home. How do I get out of this? Or someone invites you to a party, and you're like, "How do I get out of it gracefully?" You know, how do I make up an excuse as to how to not be there? I would rather do anything than to be around all those people. It's <laughs> according to some, that's a social disorder. You know. Um, so I, as I was saying in, in January of 2016, I realized that, wow, I, I didn't have all these social disorders. I, I'm, I, I'm not, I can drop all the labels and just embrace being an empath or a hypersensitive, you know, it's something to embrace, you know? The key is, which we will talk about in other episodes and future episodes, is when we receive these energies from other people, when we receive these different frequencies and we absorb them, which we don't really have a choice, that's who we are, when we absorb them, how do we take them in 
and do what I call the turnaround? How do we flip those around inside of us and send it back out as positive energy? To absorb that, and instead of allowing it to affect us emotionally and bring us down and cause us anxiety and depression, taking all that in, turning it around and sending it back out into the universe and into the world is positive energy. And that's key. And we're going to be discussing that in future episodes. So being an empath can be a great thing. We're, we're, we're very, it's a gift. We need to look, you know, to look at it as a blessing and we just kind of looking at it as in a different light. And that's what I had to do. Um, as, as a child in school, I was bullied. I, I, um, I'd have my lunch taken from me and the kids would throw it around to each other, pieces of my lunch. And I didn't know what to do. I was trapped. I didn't know how to speak up for myself. I, I remember the feelings that it, that I felt inside and one of the emotions that I remember feeling when I was bullied in, in school was the feeling of pain for my parents. Even though I never told my parents that my lunch had been stole, stolen from me just about every day, what it seemed, I knew that my parents worked hard. I knew that they did everything they could. We didn't have much growing up. And I knew that they sacrificed to make sure that I had a bag of lunch to take to school. I can see my mom, I, I could see my mom at the time visualize her at the in the kitchen with her hands and with her love putting my sandwiches together. Putting her love into that paper bag. And then when I went to school and it was ripped away from me and bullied away from me, I felt like it, someone was stabbing my mother because that bag was made with love. And I couldn't tell my mom because I felt like it would break her heart. So I felt through them doing that with my, my lunch bag, I felt like they were abusing my mother, that they were bullying my mother. What was harder than that is when they started picking up pick, picking on and bullying this other girl in my classroom she started coming to the school and you could tell by her you, you could kind of sense that her family didn't have much money um she didn't have a whole lot to eat i remember the kids would make fun of her because she would bring to lunch mashed potato sandwiches. That's probably all that they had the night before. And you could tell that she was probably had a nutrition deficiency. She wasn't the healthiest. And I guess that's possibly all they had for dinner the night before was mashed potatoes, maybe something with it. So for lunch, that would be her lunch was mashed potato sandwiches and um, my heart ached for this girl because the bullies she didn't have much to begin with and then the bullies started to take her lunch and bully her 
and make fun of her. And I remember as a child the pain that I felt inside. Every time they picked on her, it was like I was being ripped apart, like my entire being was being ripped apart inside. I felt her pain. I felt her emotions. And I remember just begging that they bully me and leave her alone. Just just please target me and leave that girl alone, you know? So at a very young age, I knew it. I mean, I had this deep empathy. I, I would meet people, adults, kids, it didn't matter. But within the, a fraction of a second of after meeting uh, someone for the first time, I knew inside what kind of energy I, I got from them. They emitted something that I could pick up, a frequency. And I knew immediately whether I thought this person was suspicious or whether I trusted them or whether I had a good energy, whether I wanted to be friends with them, whether I wanted to get to know them or not. I can't explain it, and I'm sure most empaths can't. It's just something that just emits from them this this radiation or whatever, however you want to interpret it, that, that you just see someone for the first time, and, and sometimes you'll see somebody for the first time, and you're like, oh, that's a nice person, you know, and um, wow, what, what a really... And then there's other people, and you're like, I don't know what it is about that person. And they can seem nice too. They, they can seem like the friendliest person, but there might be this thing inside of you to where you're like, I don't know what it is about them, but I just don't like them. And that's intuition. You're, you're receiving a vibration. You're receiving an energy, a frequency within your gut. And your intuition interprets that and knows that, okay, there's something off about that person. So, um, these are things that I dealt with, not dealt with, well, that I experienced through most of my life. So, last year, when I started to find out about traits of an empath, and I started reading the traits of an empath, I'm like, whoa, I relate to just about every one of these, you know, and the, the, the lady that was, um, well, let's just say really good friend of mine that, um, I had learned about this from her herself. Um, she's an empath. And so the two of us had that in common. We had that bond we both know what knew what it was like to be an empath, um, what it is like to be an empath, and our relationship got deeper and deeper through that because it was like whenever an event happened or we were around somebody, we would look at each other and kind of like with this look in our eyes, like, do you feel that? Do you feel that? And... Uh, I'm going to say maybe a hundred percent of the time, <laughs> just about all the time when, when the two of us feel that we feel this presence, it could, there could be nobody around. It could just be this energy that we get. I remember there's this time that we went somewhere. I can't remember what it was. And, uh, she and I, and, and we, um, 
we went and we get out of the car and we were in a parking garage and I was overwhelmed with this something's not right. I can't figure it out, but I'm feeling this energy in this parking garage that I just, I don't know, something was just, I couldn't shake it. I was in a great mood and, and, um, maybe I'm sure there are those of you out listening to this, this broadcast that can relate that you don't understand why you have this gut feeling about a place or an area or whatever it is, but you just know you can be in a great mood and all of a sudden your mood change at the snap of a finger um, because you're picking up some type of vibration from the area or something. Sometimes I, I would I would drive through some areas, um, some pretty bad, poor areas um, in, in Baltimore and it's like you can feel the heaviness. You can feel the heaviness of the area, of the people, the sadness, the depression. So, um, these are the things, and, and as I said, in other episodes, we'll be having some interviews with people and, and we'll also be touching on a lot of other topics too. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of things that we have coming up and interviews with some great people. I think you guys are really going to be interested in, um, and like I said, I'm really excited about it, but we're also going to be learning about how to take these feelings, energies, emotions, frequencies, what have you, and sending them back, back out in a healing way, how to, how to be able to send it out as a ray of light and as a ray of healing, a ray of love and send it back out. And it's amazing the effect that we can have on other people and the world and the environment by taking and using the, 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 the gift, the power of an empath, we can do powerful things in the world by knowing how to, how to use that ability, how to use that gift. So I encourage you, if you've tuned in today, you're interested in the topic. Um, if you've read some books or whatever and you're just interested in what is an empath, am I an empath? Even if you feel like you aren't an empath, I still encourage you to, to tune in and at least maybe it'll help you with with develop your empathy or whatever. So really encourage and I, I, I ask and request for everyone listening to share this podcast. Um, uh, I'm not, as it stands right now, I'm not making a dime for this. It's something that I'm passionate about and that I just want to share with other people. So I ask that you take and give me a gift, and that is to tell your friends about this podcast and that you share it yourselves with other people. I'm going to get to the story. You heard me start off with an intro, and the title of this um, episode is The Hungry Child. This is what kind of tipped me over the the point of where I, I was just I had a block and couldn't start my first episode and this has been a year I've been struggling with how do I start this off and through this phone conversation with this woman uh, the other day um, at the end I was like you know it is time it's time and I wanted to use a piece of her story in this podcast I was on the phone with a uh, a woman. And she was telling me about, she went out 
how she went out to dinner um, at a place uh, near her home. And she had seen um, two children with what seemed to be with her parents, and they had ordered them, them food from the restaurant. And the kids sat there with their hands crossed uh, with an attitude because they didn't want to eat what their parents had ordered. They didn't want that. I don't want that. That's not what I wanted. I'm not eating. And the lady that I was speaking to, she was telling me about how things like that really affect her because they don't they don't realize how fortunate they are to be able to sit at a, a restaurant and be offered something to eat. Because when she was a little girl, apparently, from what I understand from the story, um, her parents or her mother had lost her home, had no place to live. Um, they were in financial um bad financial situation. So her mother apparently felt like the best thing to do was to let her stay with her grandparents, the little girl's grandparents. So she moved in with her grandparents. Her grandfather was a coal miner in Georgia and um, they were really struggling. It they could barely put food on the table. So there were days that she didn't know if she'd have lunch to take to school. And she vividly remembers as a child sitting in the classroom at lunchtime, watching the other students eat their lunch. And she could hear her stomach growling and feel the hunger pains as she watched everyone eat else eat and she just didn't have anything they didn't have money all the time to put food on the table so once in a while her grandfather they'd be able to come up with something while she was at school once in a while they'd be able to find something to put together for her. so once in a while her grandfather would come to the school and leave a bag outside of the classroom. So she would sit there and watch the clock, counting the seconds, waiting for lunch, hoping inside that when she swung that door open, that there was a bag sitting outside the classroom with something to eat. The lunch bell rings. She runs to the door, hoping that there's something to eat waiting for her on the other side. More times than not, there was nothing there. She didn't know if she was going to be able to eat dinner that night. She didn't know if they'd have enough to have dinner on the table. So she'd turn around and go back to her seat while the other kids ate their lunch. The hunger pains just consuming her body. 
She would sit at her desk, put her head down during lunchtime, and chew on her book bag strap. Sit there with her book bag strap in her mouth, just chewing on it, imagining that she had something to eat, hoping that that would help to ease the hunger pains. That woman promised herself that when she had kids that they wouldn't go hungry. She would do anything in her power to make sure that her children at least had something to eat. She knew what it felt like to be hungry and have to do without. She swore that whatever it took, if she had children, that they would have a roof over their head, that they would be loved, cared for, that they would know every day how much they were loved, and that they would have food to eat. I'm so proud of that little girl. So proud of that little girl. She grew up not with bitterness, not with anger. That woman grew up and became a loving mother. And I'm so proud to say that that little girl grew up to be my mom. You've been listening to Empath Radio Network. Remember, if you're going to sow seeds, sow seeds of love. Until we meet again, Michael saying goodnight.